Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moyer McCullough, and today we are talking with Greg Furberry on getting into the right mental mindset for 2022. I was a perfectionist, you know, and so that was very debilitating for me when I was starting my entrepreneur, you know, life. And I had to get comfortable just doing things imperfectly and just trying stuff out and just reiterating and guessing and trying to get better every time. This is the College Scoops podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college related and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members and even a College Scoops care package. Greg Freeberry is the founder of Think and Evolve, an educational company focused on creating emotionally healthy, joyful, and resilient kids through private tutoring and online programs. Greg draws on his varied experience in engineering, entrepreneurship, and education to create a space where kids can excel academically and build extraordinary relationships with themselves. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Greg. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I kind of loved connecting with you because I saw that you were based in the area that I am now in for the next couple months, which I feel so grateful for the opportunity to be in Southern California and Los Angeles area. So it was a great way to that. We connected and I asked you all about your favorite restaurants, where to go, what to do. I was uh, I was actually in Manhattan Beach, was it two days ago? And yeah, we uh, went to the little kettle restaurant and, you know, it was such a beautiful day. It's, I feel so grateful that it's like January and you know, I can just like walk around in a t-shirt and like ride on the sun shining and just enjoy the outdoors. Absolutely. It was the first time my kids, as they were leaving to go back to school, said, can't we just stay one more day? <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you. So I loved when I found you online and you're an entrepreneur who I, I love your tagline in LinkedIn, an engineer gone rogue. And you worked at AT&T, and I'm a former telecommunications person as well. So I think that was another way that kind of connected in. I don't know if I knew that, but that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I was My first job out of college was at the 9X, when it was called 9X Systems Marketing. And I saw that you were at and I thought, okay, you were the engineer. You were the guy that I would call and say, how in God's name are we going to get this to work for my customer? <laughs> that was probably me, yeah. That's it. So in terms of your background and and you're an engineer, what inspired you to leave the corporate world and go for that? Not really a glamorous job of being an entrepreneur. This stuff is hard. I know. Well, the interesting thing was as I was growing up and, and and I went to high school and then even in college, like I was just kind of following along 
this kind of like playbook that society sets out for us. It's just like, all right, well, go get good grades. And then after you get good grades, you, you graduate and you go to college and then you graduate and you get your degree and then you get a job and then you like work for 40 years and you retire and like, that's your life. And while that certainly worked for some people, like I don't want to disparage that way of life or anything like that. I, I kind of got to the point where I did all those things. Right. And then I graduated and I, I started working in the corporate world and something just felt off. I didn't really like working for other people. I didn't like the bureaucracy of everything in the corporate world. And it was getting to the point where I just was like going into work every day. And I was just like dreading it. And I was like, do I really want to do this for like 40 years, the majority of my life? And so I really had to slow down and reevaluate. Well, what do, what do I value? What's important to me? And I realized that all those other things, like just having a stable job and like starting a family, maybe those were things that I, not necessarily that I wanted. And they were just kind of like handed to me by my family or society at large. And so I was like, I need to figure out like who I am. And I kind of went on one of those like journeys of the soul and I explored a whole bunch of stuff. And I realized I just really didn't like the restraints of the corporate world. And then, so I quit and I really liked, I enjoyed the part of entrepreneur, entrepreneurship where you just get to be really creative. You get to do whatever you want to do. Right. And so whenever I felt an intuitive sense of like, oh, maybe I should go this direction. Maybe I should go this direction. I, I could, I didn't have to ask for permission from my boss or the director or anything like that. So I really love the creativity and freedom of being an entrepreneur, but you're right. It certainly hasn't been an easy path all the time. When you give up that corporate life, what you give up is the safety and security and comfortability of like a regular paycheck and health benefits and all and paid vacation, all that went out the window. But at the end of the day, for me, I feel like I made the right choice for me. It sounds like such a mature thing to do at such a young age. And as you describe in terms of some of the feelings that you had in terms of if that was really what you wanted to do, or it was more what subconsciously you were hearing from your parents. I'm reflecting back on my conversations with my kids now, <laughs> wondering, did I do the same thing? Because it definitely is, you know, it's important to get out there and give it a try. As you said, you know, you're going through college, you have to get out, get a job, pay off some of those loans, and really get experience in the corporate world, if that is your path, to find out what it is you like and what you don't like. Mm-hmm. And then kind of sitting back and as you said, reflecting and doing a little bit of soul searching to find out, you know, next steps because life is short. And right. an entrepreneur, it's a tough job. But as you said, there's so many benefits, pros and cons as to why one would do it and one would kind of shy yeah. away from it. And it was it, it just was like, I guess as I was going through school, I never viewed myself as an entrepreneur. I just was like, oh, that's what like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, Bill Gates, they're entrepreneurs. I'm just a guy. Um, and I just never saw it as a, as like a legitimate path for me. But then when I started trying it out, I was like, actually, this stuff's not so bad. Like I enjoy the freedom of being able to create something myself. Well, and in between there, you worked at a an academy. Can you share a little bit about that? Because they were a progressive school, right? Which kind of had students engaged in a different type of getting your mindset and in the right frame of mind to succeed, not only in the classroom, but outside of the classroom. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, after I quit my engineering job, my cushy engineering job, and I left the corporate world, I kind of wandered around for a little while. And I 
did a whole bunch of things. But then I finally settled on math tutoring for or in science tutoring specifically, because as an engineer, naturally, I have a tendency to do pretty well in the math and sciences and all that. And I really liked helping kids. So even when I was at AT&T, I used to volunteer once a week, just helping like at-risk youths in seventh and eighth grade with their algebra skills. So it was something I was kind of already called to. And then, yeah, my friend recommended that I try tutoring. And at first I was kind of like, uh, I'm not so sure about it because in school, I was just kind of the kid that, that got it. Like I understood it but I wasn't very good at articulating it to my friends. So I get like really impatient and then I'd kind of like snap at them. Um, but at the time I was kind of broke and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna, I gotta try something. So I did and then I actually found, well, I guess along the way I had grown some patience and I was actually pretty good at tutoring. So I started my tutoring business and I was building that up and maybe like three years into it, the school reached out to me on a platform that I used to acquire tutoring clients. And it was a very interesting pitch. Um, so like you mentioned, it was, a, it was a very unique school in that their model was very, very different from traditional schools. So because the school is very small, it, it, was a, it was like a six through 12 school, but it was only like a hundred kids in total or less. So there wasn't very many kids in each class. And in fact, the school had only been open four years. So when I was working there, the graduate first graduating senior class had like four kids in it. Wow. It was a very small school. But the model was instead of just having group classes many times a day, what, what I would do is I'd have maybe like two or three group classes per day. And then the rest of my day was spent in two-on-one tutoring sessions with my, my students, my very own students. So they got tutoring at the school, which I thought was really cool. And then moreover, when I interviewed, they were talking about how like meditation was a required course at the school. And then while I was working there, they also had two yoga teachers on staff. So kid, kids could take yoga classes as part of the curriculum. And at even one point, I think they had morning reading sessions where like they read together as a school and a community. And I thought that was so cool. That was like what really hooked me because I, I had no intentions of becoming a teacher myself kind of feeling called. But when they made that pitch, I was like, wow, that sounds something like I'd really like to be a part of. Very interesting because I thrived in the traditional schooling model. You know, I, I did well on tests. I did my homework. I got good grades. But then kind of like I was mentioning a little bit earlier is like I got to this point in my life where I, I was like, well, the playbook's over. What am I supposed to do now? And I didn't really know how to handle myself or behave. And I was having like all these emotions. So then I spent a, a good portion of my adult life going through trainings and programs and learning how to do this emotional awareness and emotional management. And I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if someone just taught me that when I was younger? So I had those tools already mm -hmm. to make decisions in my life. And so that's why I really wanted to be a, a part of that because I think our school system right now does a really great job of teaching kids about math and science and English and history, but it doesn't necessarily do a great job of teaching you about how to build a relationship with yourself and like, all right, you're procrastinating on homework. What do you do? You're your best friend and you are in a fight and you have to take a test the next day. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you handle these emotions that are they're coming up? And because emotions are really the driving force behind everything we do. Those are like really true 
life skills that can be applied any with anything that you do. So like, you know, as an engineer, math and science are very important. But for a lot of kids that become artists or musicians or something, they don't really care about math, you know. Right. But like the emotions, no matter what you do, that's something that'll follow you everywhere. So that's why I wanted to be a part of that school. Did they provide training and kind of when they bring on and onboard new teachers, you know, who may have had an interest in meditation or other aspects or self-taught in terms of emotional awareness, emotional training? Did they put you through a course or how did that work with onboarding new teachers? Yeah, they didn't specifically train me in those aspects. Like obviously they, they ran me through their ethos and you know, made sure that I vibed really well with the school. I think, you know, the one thing that I thought that they did really, really well was that at that school is they found incredible people that that were great teachers, but also that really melded well with their philosophy and their teaching style. Mm -hmm. So even if someone maybe was like a very good teacher and they had been teaching at like a more traditional school and they're kind of entrenched in that ideology, they probably wouldn't even hire that person because they just didn't meld and fit with the, the school's philosophy. So I think that was what they wrote. They just screened really hard for people kind of like me. I think that we're already into that kind of stuff and had practiced yes. that kind of stuff. And then did you see, was it something that was so evident when you started working with students and you had kind of in that environment with that type of approach and philosophy, just the benefits of how helpful it was. As you mentioned, I wish I had been taught that when I was younger. Imagine the success rate when you work with students and teach them how to build you know, a healthy relationship with themselves or learn how to deal with conflict. Was it so evident as a teacher? You're like, oh my gosh, this is a no brainer. Why doesn't everyone do this? Well, I think it was, you know, with like a lot of things, it's hit or miss, like with some students, they would take you just because it was easy. And then they could just like your meditation, they could just like sleep basically, you know, like take a nap at school. But like, even, even in that situation, I think just through osmosis of being there, like that is rubbing off on them. That's part of the experience. Now they're incorporating it, even if they don't necessarily realize it or immediately use the tools, they always have that reference experience of like, meditating, doing yoga, whereas uh, I certainly never did any of that in high school. But then also there were the other kids that I actually saw them using the tools proactively in their lives. And, you know, maybe they were like having a moment and they go, oh, well, let me slow down. And they close their eyes and just take some deep breaths like they were trained to do in, in yoga or meditation. And then, you know, they'd come out of it and they'd maybe have a different perspective on things. And, you know, these tools are very useful and it can be challenging to learn them in the beginning, especially as, as young kids or teenagers. But I was very inspired to see that the kids were using the tools. And then I was thinking more like, all right, well, when they're a little older, when they're in college or they're a young adult, it's really going to set the foundation for them in the future. It is. And I think it's something that students and really anyone at any age learning something new we're quick to kind of, what are the results? Like, I want to see the immediate benefits of it. And I just even know taking that approach in terms of stopping, kind of trying to regroup and breathing is huge. <laughs> Something as simple as breathing, just taking a deep breath, you feel your whole body kind of accepting that and, and the mind kind of slowing down and having a chance to regroup. And we don't really allow ourselves that opportunity and we really need it. Absolutely. 
Yeah, a lot of times it's just rush, rush, rush. So what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Especially in our society, we're trained, like you always have to be doing something. But sometimes just slowing down and doing nothing is actually the best course of action. Absolutely. So recently read, and you had you have a great blog that people should go to um, in terms of one of your recent articles was, you know, how to build a better relationship with yourself. So what are s- some tools or strategies that you would give to students as they launch 2022 and trying to have a healthier, more, um, a mindset that will allow them to kind of grow and hit the ground running a little bit in, in this semester. Sure. Yeah. So I, again, like I mentioned before, I kind of had that like dark out of the soul. Who am I? What am I doing? And I tried all this kind of like self-development. I went to a lot of, I took the cold showers and I did like cold plunges in the, the, in Canada. And then I did meditation and I did yoga and I did all the things and journaling and this and that. And some of it was effective and some of it wasn't as effective, but the thing that I've stumbled upon the past few years, that has been really effective for me is something that's very simple. That's just having conversations with myself. And that's how, what I used to build a better relationship with myself. And, you know, even when I first started doing it, I thought, this is kind of weird. What am I doing? Like I'm having a conversation with myself, but it's actually a a really unique take on things because basically what I do is like, anytime I feel any sort of emotion or, you know, feeling or anything, I just label it, whatever I'm feeling. So let's say, you know, I'm feeling sad. I would just be like, okay, well, Mr. Sadness, how, how are you feeling? What's going on? How can I serve you? What can I do to help? And the beautiful thing about this technique is that it's simple, right? So like everyone knows how to have a conversation. Uh, I can do it anywhere. So, you know, sometimes with like when I was doing journaling or whatever, maybe I'd be having like all these emotions and I'd be feeling overwhelmed, but I'd be like driving my car or something. And like, I can't just like stop and pull over and like journal right there on the side of the road. Literally anywhere I can just stop and have a conversation with myself. But like within a conversation, right? I never know where it's going to go. Like with any, when, when you're talking to a, a person, you know, you, you're, you're not even in this conversation we're having now, right? I don't really know where it's going to go. I'm just saying things and we'll see what happens. And that's the same when I have conversations with myself. So like, I'll ask myself questions out loud. And then it's kind of crazy how it'll happen. Like my internal mind will respond to my own questions. So it's like almost like a fun game. And it's, it's interesting how, you know, the mind can, will, will play that game. And then the best thing about it is when you, or when I like label it, say, okay, Mr. Sadness, how are you feeling? It gives me a little bit of separation from the emotion that I'm feeling. So a lot of times when we're trying to work on stuff, if I'm feeling very sad and I'm very associated with that feeling, it's hard for me to get out of the sadness. Like I'm stuck in it and all the energy gets sucked out of the room and I feel really down I get small and I just want to listen to sad music and cry which all of that is fine. But when, when I step out and I say, Hey, Mr. Sadness, like, how are you doing? How can I help you? And Mr. Sadness responds to me. It gives me a way to just give me a little separation so I can step away from actually being in it, deep in it. And then I can actually address myself and build, build a better relationship with myself and communicate with myself. So for students, like I mentioned, it's, it's a very simple thing, right? So anytime you just feel something, you just slow down, take some breaths, try and feel into what the actual emotion is and then just address it. Like whether you're feeling angry or sad or upset or overwhelmed or stressed, you don't just say Mr. or Mrs. Sadness or Mr. or Mrs. Anger, however, whatever you're feeling, like what's going on? Talk to me. 
Um, what can I do to serve you? Just know that I accept you and I love you. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to change or be anything different. Just know that I'm here for you. And you'll be interested to just see what comes up. Sometimes you'll be shocked by what, what responses you get from your own mind. And then other times, maybe they don't say anything, but you just kind of have like a feeling or a sensation of what's going on. And it's, a, it's kind of like a fun practice just to get into. So for students, I want to start off the year with a positive mindset. That's one way that I found very effective for me to really build my own mindset up. Well, I have conversations with myself all the time. <laughs> so, But a lot of people would use judgment with yes. that. So that is, I would say, the biggest realization that many, many of us do have conversations, but it's the one of judgment and kind of beating yourself up. And doing what you're, you're suggesting is A, having the capacity or the patience to realize, wait a minute, those are not the healthy conversations that I should be having, but I am. So now what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to turn that energy that is so negative and that is pulling us down and being so destructive to our mindset? And even I would say physically, um, that get out of that normal mentality that we have of beating ourselves up and judging too much and trying to take that energy and feeding it into a different, more productive, healthier, positive approach. Totally. Yeah. Like I was saying, it was weird for me in the beginning to have conversations out loud with myself. But like you mentioned, conversations were already happening. They're just happening. As, and I experienced them as thoughts in my own head. And they'd be very judgmental, like, oh, you should be doing, oh, you're so lazy today. Why don't you get up off the couch and go do something, you know? And the cool thing about actually having the conversation out loud is it takes those unconscious processes and actually makes them conscious because you have to speak the words. So yeah, it's a, it's a great way to channel that kind of unconscious negative judgmental energy into something positive and healing. Well, I would take that a step further then too, when you're dealing with students and and our immediate response to certain questions or situations or subjects. If you're starting off a semester and I could say, well, I'm not good at math, but I've already set the tone for my math progress, shall we say, for the semester. I've already told myself I'm not good at it. So where do we go from there? Um, yeah. And when you ask, well, why aren't you good at it? Well, it's hard. And that's how I kind of, even talking with, my own kids are talking with students and well, you don't think you're good at it. Well, why aren't you good at it? And kind of the responses that they have, they'll realize that, wait a minute, it's not that I'm not good at it. It's just, there's other factors into play or I'm not allowing my opportunity to explore and to learn in a way that's productive. Yeah. Every, when, when I taught, I would always preface every single like start of the year with this class is going to be taught from a growth mindset perspective, which I am a big proponent of. And um, yeah, I just say, look, math is a skill like anything else. If you work at it, you're going to get better. Sure, there's going to be some people that speak the language a little better, and then they're going to be more natural. And there's other people that are going to struggle more. And that's okay. But just know that there's no such thing as just like people that can never, ever understand math. And, and then super geniuses that always will understand math. It's just well, some people are on just a different starting block, but if you work harder, you will improve <laughs> or you work, you know, you pay attention. It's like where we put our attention and our effort, that's where we improve. And, yeah. and I think 
as as a tutor and when you're working with the students too, and I'm sure you hear it all the time, is you know I don't understand or I can't get it. Yeah. So it's how do you how do you release that mental block? Yeah, I actually um, just wrote a blog post recently about this. It's called something like the the danger dangers of I don't know, right? So one of the things that um, my my students kind of like get annoyed about with me is like they'll read a question or I'll ask them a question and then their answer is I don't know but they know like the people the kids that have worked with me long enough know that I don't know is not an acceptable answer for me so usually what I do is and this is something that I learned um, in my, my kind of like self-development journey how to reframe that is well I always go all right that's fine so if you did know what would you say so it's like, it's kind of like a little hack because it's not like denying the reality. I'm not sitting there being like, yes, you do know. Now tell me the answer. I'm going, okay, sure. You don't know, but let's just play a game. Let's pretend that you do know. What would you say? And then because a lot of times that I don't know isn't really an I don't know. It's, it's like, I may know the answer, but I'm not 100% correct. So I don't want to say it because I don't want to look dumb or stupid. Or it may be, I didn't understand the question at all, and I have no idea what it's asking, so I just need to go back and reread it, you know? this. So sometimes an I don't know isn't necessarily genuine, I don't know, so. No, it's almost like they fill it as a gap, too. It's it's an, a knee-jerk reaction right. that so, one would say, and you're like, well, well, wait a minute, how do you not know that? Let's walk through. What aspect of it do you not know? Right. So like I'll like I, I work with them a few minutes, make sure they understand the question, make sure they're actually putting in effort. And if they still don't know at the end of all that, then I'll help guide them to the answer. But I never just like accept I don't know as an answer right off the bat, because it's usually trying it's covering up something else. And I think also the fear of not having the right answer, because everything in this generation is you know, a couple couple tweets or a couple, um, you research, you go on your phone and within seconds you can produce an answer. So the frustration is, well, not knowing the right answer. And actually, once you don't care, it's very freeing because you can throw out an answer that may not be quote unquote be right in a certain class, but the conversation that develops from that response kind of opens up people's mind. Well, I didn't think of it that way. So if I did, if we do look at it from your perspective, I could kind of see your point. Yeah. Not so much in the engineering and mathematical spaces, but. Well, it's it's shocking. Like, you know, I always, I try and create an atmosphere of like levity and fun so that my students feel comfortable just like being able to be wrong in front of me and guess. And I encourage them to guess a lot. And the funny thing is, is they'll guess. And then 80% of the time, like their guess is correct. It's like, again, like they knew the answer. They were just hesitant. And then I'm like, and then I always make the joke. I'm like, wow, for someone that didn't know, you sure are a good guesser. And then they laugh <laughs> and they smile. And um, yeah, so it, it's, and it makes sense. It's okay. Cause they're just trying to protect themselves. It's just, you know, a, a part of them that's coming up and like, they don't want to look dumb or stupid. And I totally get that. So I try and create an atmosphere where they feel safe guessing and then, hopefully that does build into uh, some, something that's part of them where they feel safe just trying things out. Cause that's something that I had to, I was a perfectionist, you know? And so that was very debilitating for me when I was starting my entrepreneur, you know, life. And I had to get comfortable just doing things imperfectly and just trying stuff out and just reiterating and guessing and trying to get better every time. Well, that, that's a perfect description of what 
an entrepreneur should have in their toolbox with having the capacity and ability to kind of constantly adapt and reframe and and try to go under, over, in between, whichever which way you want to try to solve a problem and find out what is the best way for that particular situation. So you've, we've talked about a lot of different things in terms of for students kind of one, have the have the conversation and kind of walk your mind through that journey to get in a space that will allow you to think things through, to learn through self-reflection. Um, also, we talked about the meditation and, and yoga, which is really helpful as, as a tool. Journaling, I get it. Whenever I'm walking on a walk and listening to a podcast or, and I try to write down notes, you know, you're moving, you're trying to find a seat then to write down your notes. And then I thought, well, what's the point of going on this walk and clearing my mind if I'm worried about journaling? So I can think it's, there's different tools that you can use at different times. And also as a parent, I always like asking, I mean, you, you're working with students, but there's also that parent perspective that comes in. And as parents, we always like, what can we do to help our students? And that would be using some of the tools that you've mentioned as well, kind of reframing if your students are having difficulty in a particular class, reframing the question and trying to help them uncover the mental block that they're having at that particular moment. Yeah. I usually come as a, as a teacher, I come from the standpoint that all of my students are capable of knowing whatever it is I'm teaching and that they're all, they all have that knowledge within them. And it's my job to ask the question in the appropriate way or like give them the knowledge in in, in a way that they understand it so that they can have access to that knowledge. And I feel like as a teacher, that's what my job is, is to present the information so that they can digest it. Because I I truly believe that like all my students are fully capable to learn whatever it is I'm teaching. Well, and I think then too, as a parent, we need to, as I said, you know, support our students and kind of use some of the approaches that that students are learning mm-hmm. with teachers like yourself or tutors like yourself to kind of build into their practice as well. What do you wish you knew before attending college? What do I wish I knew before attending college? I think that one, the biggest thing that I really wish I knew is people always would tell me that like, all right, you know, high school is going to be harder than grade school and college is going to be much harder than high school. And then when I got to college, it was like, Sure, like the classes, the content was was harder and like it was harder in the sense that I was on my own and I had to manage everything myself, but I was already pretty good at that. So it wasn't a huge deal for me. But what I realized is when I got there is I actually had like a ton of free time. You know, I was taking five or six classes a semester, which was like 15 to 18 credit hours. And sometimes so that was, you know, on average, that was only what, like three, three and a half hours of classes per day. And then sometimes I'd even stack it because, you know, usually classes are like Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Tuesday, Thursday. I'd stack them so they'd be all like on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I just have like Tuesdays and Thursdays off. So I wish I kind of would have known that going into it because then I I think I would have used my free time better. When I when I found I had all this free time, I spent a lot of it just playing like video games or vegging out on the TV or, or watching TV, which was like, you know, fine. You certainly need to have relaxation time. But I wish I would have like maybe taken an extra class when you go to university, especially a really big university, there's all these like random fun classes a lot of times. And if you're like a full time student, you just take it. It doesn't cost you anything extra if you're a full time student there. So I wish I would have taken, you know, like a a, a learn how to brew beer or maybe like a dance course or something that was outside of my engineering 
area because I was taking engineering and math and all that time. And maybe I would have actually seen some girls or something. <laughs> <'cause> all, <laughs> yeah, like all men, if I would have taken like an art history class or and not even maybe necessarily taking a class, but maybe I could have like volunteered at an animal shelter or I could have joined a rec sports league, like it, played volleyball at ship met on Tuesdays or something like that. Um, because once I kind of got to school and I had all this free time, I just defaulted to whatever I was doing prior to that, which was like, just like a lot of video games and stuff. But I think if I would have known about that beforehand, I could have went into college with like the idea of like, well, I'll structure my schedule so I can do this kind of like fun, random, cool thing that'll help me uh, expand myself more. It's so important because it goes by so darn fast. And before you know it, by senior year, you kind of have a wake up call or the light goes on and you take those classes. But imagine if you had started three years earlier, went in there kind of with that mindset that there is so much out there, you're already paying for it as a full-time student. And you'll never have that opportunity again to take some of those classes or those athletic courses or just normal things that when you graduate and you have to pay for, suddenly it's like, I don't want to spend $200 on that rock climbing course. (laughs) Or or another thing is like, I had access to like world-class facilities with like 3D printers and engineering chemistry labs with like chemicals. And I could have, could have went in and just like done all these experiments and done all this tinkering, but I did it. And then once you graduate, well, now that opportunity is, has passed. So just go in there, go into the coding lab or the maker lab and just have fun, experiment. I think that's such great advice. And I tell my kids all the time, you know, take something that's that you would never dream of. You never know if you're going to like it and you'll find a new hobby. So it's it's great advice to start off 2022 with. Do you have a favorite dessert at a college campus? At a college campus? Let's see. I guess it's kind of cheating because I, I went to school in the city um, and I went to St. Louis University. So it's like right in the heart of St. Louis. And so there was like a cheesecake factory pretty close by. And I'm a big cheesecake guy. So like, it's funny. My mom always teases me because, you know, you go to the Cheesecake Factory and there's like a hundred different flavors. And I always just get like original plain. (laughs) All right. Wait a minute. From St. Louis. Do you know Drew's? Ted Drew's? Do you know Ted Drew's? Yes. Okay. That would bring me back to St. Louis time and time again. I'll tell you, my daughter and I probably had, we are ice cream people everywhere we go. We love to get an ice cream and I'll never forget that had to be the best cookie dough ice cream I've ever had in my entire life. And we actually both could not finish ours. And that is saying something that we, I've never been known to not finish an ice cream. And that is one place I would make a special trip for. Ted Drew's, uh, Emo's Pizza, and Toaster Ravioli. Those are like St. Louis's claim to fame for food. Oh. It's cool that you said that. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all the helpful advice and tips for students as they start the new year. Yeah, appreciate you having me on and I hope people found it useful and it was really great to be here. Thank you, Greg, for sharing your advice for developing a healthy mindset for 2022. Building good habits and a good relationship with yourself sets the foundation for a fit mind. Whether you practice meditation, yoga, or journaling, having a conversation with yourself is another way to practice kindness, gratitude, and self-reflection. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com podcast. You can learn more about Greg and Think and Evolve Academy on his website, thinkinginvolve.academy.com. Please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops.
Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college-related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.